Hey, hey, it's a wonderful day, and we are back here for That 90s Baseball Pod, powered by Access Twins. I am your host, Brandon Warren. You can find me on Twitter at Brandon underscore W-A-R-N-E. I'm joined by my co-host, that's Greg, with three Gs, one at the front, two at the back, Olsen, at Greg Olson 30 on Twitter. How are we doing? We are all good, partner. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. We just came off celebrating my 10th anniversary my, with my wife and myself, so we... Uh, Congratulations. Thank you. We took a little bit of time to trek around the Twin Cities and do some things we don't usually do with our four-year-old cargo in tow, so... We had some fun, but on the second night, we literally decided we wanted to drive back home and skip the last night in the hotel. We were so ready to be back at the house. So ate some good food. Wow. Yeah, ate some good food. We were in a casino, gambled just a very little bit. It's kind of not really our style. Went to the Chanhassen Dinner Theater and did some fun stuff. But nobody's uh, nobody's here to listen to that. They're here to listen to us do this show. First of all, if you're listening to us on iTunes, can you please, please, please give us a five-star review? Let us know what you like about the show, or just say whatever you want. If you leave a five-star review and say something, and then send me a DM of proof, you will be entered to win a monthly, or entered into a monthly drawing to win an autographed baseball by yours truly. No, I'm kidding. Greg will autograph one for you. We'll get it sent to you. <laughs> he will put on... You know, if you want something cool written on there that's not offensive, um, best curveball in history or something like that. What do you think of that? That sounds like uh, like what uh, we were talking. I saw you talking about on Twitter the last couple of days here. Oh yeah, we can do whatever you want to do. We can do like rookie of the year, or yep. uh, you know, I could talk talk a little crap about having a better curveball than everybody else. So just having a little bit of fun, going all right. So um, I think. If I requested one, I'd, I'd do Rookie of the Year better than Griffey. I think that would be my request. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that. Oh uh, man, yeah, I don't know if I'll I'll I'll, uh, I'll just probably keep it at uh, 89 Roy or yeah. 89 AL Roy. Did you uh did you get to know Ken Griffey Jr. at all? I mean, obviously you guys broke into the league at the same time, and he hung around for a long time, and you were just about as long. Is did you guys have any sort of relationship? Um. You know what we 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 did we play I played with him in '92. We uh, Major League Baseball sends over an all-star team over to Japan every other year. Oh yeah. And um, and he was he was my center fielder. Um, man, that was just that was just a fun team. You know, we we're talking about uh, the Olympics and, and playing on playing on teams like that. That uh, team that we sent over to Japan had Griffey had. Uh, uh, we had Wade Boggs at third base with Travis Fryman. Had Ozzie Smith with um, I'm trying to think of the other shortstop. Brain locked. Second base was Craig Biggio and Carlos Baerga. Oh wow! First base was first base was Cecil Fielder and Eric Karros. Had um, mm, stuck on catcher. Get back to that one. Other Darren Dalton was catching. Mm-hmm. Um, outfield was Ruben Sierra, Griffey, Shane Mack, and then the pitching staff was Clemens, Jack McDowell, myself, Dwayne Ward, Bob Patterson, uh, um, Bob Tewksbury, Dennis Martinez. So Griffey and I got a little bit, a couple weeks together, and. Um, after that, it was just kind of, you know, I'd see him say hello and, and mm-hmm. uh, always cordial. 
you know, it was the one thing I remember with Griffey, and this is going to sound really weird unless, you know, you've come out of the dugout to pitch an inning in the major leagues. Um, 99.999% of the time, a fly ball goes to the center fielder on the other team. And he throws it into somebody and throws it into the stands behind him, something like that. Well, Griffey catches the ball and I'm, I pitched the eighth. And so now I'm, I'm coming out to pitch the top of the ninth in Camden Yards against Seattle. And so Griffey made, you know, caught the last out and he's jogging in. And I'm about to the, the first baseline, getting ready to step over the chalk. And he throws the ball to me. And it was just kind of one of those moments where I'm going, I don't think I've ever seen that before. Yeah, no kidding. I'm like, okay, that's kind of cool. No, I mean, it was, just, it was just one of those bizarre moments where, you know, I don't know what he was doing or why. It was just kind of funny that, you know, he'd cross the infield. He lobs me a throw across, you know, like he caught the last out. And I'm walking out to throw the top of the ninth and throws the ball to me. And I was just kind of like, you know, I, I assume like 19 – 20s or the the 19 teens baseball of where guys left their gloves out behind the infield and mm-hmm. threw the ball to the through through the ball to the next pitcher walking out of the dugout and went and sat down and waited for your turn at bat. That's amazing. That's amazing. They didn't hold anything back with those rosters. That's some pretty star-studded uh, artillery there. Yeah, it was pretty good. I think. Um, I mean, I got I got it call it was it was something you know it was an honor it was a huge honor and um i got a call in 1990 at the end of the season to you know they asked if i wanted to go and i was i I think i was i was dinged up and you know physically exhausted and so i said no i really didn't know what i was saying no to so my mistake on that one but um i i think they ended up going going like four and four in 1990 and gave um, gave the Japanese uh, major league team, you know, major leagues, hope that they were catching up with with our major leagues. And I'm not going to, you know, go down that path of you know how where they're at and and what they do. Obviously, with Shohei Otani right. dominating our league right now. But um, I, I think you know we lost four games or went five and three or something like that. And and I met one of the general managers from the Japanese league and he was hoping that we would crush them for the fact that they thought that they had caught up because they, they, you know, they, they played it close with our all-star team, you know, one November and, and there was all, you know, all road games. So, um, and the team that I just talked about went we went six, one and one and, um, the one the one tie was a zero zero game that I got a short sack fly to left field and Craig Biggio playing left field through the through the runner out at home plate. So it was it was pretty cool. Um it was it was a fun time. And so long 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 story about Ken Griffey Junior, but <laughs> he was always the kid was uh the kid as a nickname was about as applicable as it could possibly be. He was, he was a giant kid, you know, sat backwards, taking batting practice, you know, him throwing the ball across the infield to me, you know, while I'm walking out to start the ninth inning, it was, it was just, he just, he was just having fun. You know, you never saw him out there or upset. I don't think I've ever seen him upset. 
he was too nice. He played, he played hard. He played right. Yeah. He'd pimp a home run, but I don't think, I don't think I ever saw him get hit. I don't think I ever saw him get thrown at people just loved the way he played. You know, it For was sure. fun to watch. Did did you wear USA on your chest then? Because I've seen you say on a couple occasions, and or maybe I heard you once and saw you once, talk about what a what an honor it was to wear USA on your chest. Did you guys wear that kind of garb in those series that you no. played over there? No, we played. Uh, we had our road jerseys. Okay. For whatever for whatever team, and then at the end of it, you know, I I, I traded one of my road jerseys. Rod Carew was our hitting coach. Oh wow. And. Uh, yeah, I couldn't couldn't pass that one up. Tom Ke- Tom Kelly was our manager, so that was where I, I first played with TK. Oh, jersey swaps um, before they were cool, though. Uh yeah. So I mean, at the end of the at the end of the the trip, you know, I was looking around the room, and it was like everybody everybody went to Ozzy. I kind of went to Boggs, and we had a cool logo on the sleeve. So I I was keeping one of them, and it was like, all right, you know, all right, which Hall of Famer am I going to try to get a jersey from that, and they're going to get stuck with one of mine. <laughs> And, um, but I ended up getting a Rod Carew jersey out of that. And yeah, like I said, Tom Kelly and Ron Paranowski, uh, rest in peace, right. uh, was our pitching coach. So uh, it was a blast. It was, it was a lot of fun, but, uh, we, yeah, we were, wore our road jerseys. Um, I played on the USA team when I was a junior in high school. And I think we talked about that with, uh, Albert Bell and Jack McDowell. And then I was on the Pan American team in 87, my sophomore year at Auburn. Right. And then 88, I was slated to be on the Olympic team and came down with mono the middle of my junior year. And just, um, I just couldn't handle it. So I kind of went home, sadly, it was on the, on the same same bus out of Millington, Tennessee, as Bob Hamlin, Rookie of the Year in '94. Oh yeah, that guy was a, a marvel for a one year. Yeah, wow, he could really. Hit. He was a beast. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I saw some a uh, couple interesting questions on Twitter that uh, I didn't know if we were gonna run to or we we're gonna go with the USA stuff, but um, uh, we I'm will. We ready. yeah, I'm, we'll jump on. We're go gonna ahead. jump on those today as part of talking about USA. Because the um, the Olympics just wrapped, and so the the plan was to talk about that last week during the trade deadline program. Then about forty seven minutes in, I thought, you know what, we're not gonna we're not gonna keep him for two hours today. So yeah, it was uh, it was kind of uh, uh, an executive decision made at the uh, this level, and, oh, yeah. and you agreed with it. So I can't say that I am not a uh, representative democracy here which is good um oh no, you know what you haven't figured out that you send me down a rabbit hole it takes me a little it takes me about an hour to come out so that's fine uh <laughs> you, you always come up with something interesting when you come back up from the rabbit hole so the, that's fine with me i, I did want to ask you, you we were talking about griffey i i feel like pitchers i've talked to have a special relationship with good defensive center fielders and maybe it's just good defensive any fielders because obviously you had ozzy as well but like i asked jake Odorizzi who he liked pitching in front of better Kevin Kiermeyer or Byron Buxton. And honestly, he, he said uh, he couldn't really say because he didn't want to feel like he was favoring the guy who was on his team at the time. But yeah, you got to kind of have a special relationship for the guys that go and get it for you. Don't you? 
You know what? Yeah, and it doesn't have to be center field. It, um, you know, I had a special relationship with Billy Ripken at second base, mm-hmm. uh, shortstop, you know, Ripken. Um, center fielders, Mike Devereaux, Brady Anderson. Man, if, if you went and you busted it for me every night that I was pitching and busting it for my team, then I loved you. I, I didn't care. And I, I got to be honest with you, there, I don't think I can – find a person that played behind me that didn't, you know, didn't give it a hundred percent. And, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> you just appreciate the guys that probably go just a little bit more over the top than a hundred percent. If there is 110%, which we all know that there's not, but it's a nice hypothetical, mm-hmm. you know, um, I think of how much Billy Ripken was hurt over his career. And I got to think about 99% of them were, and, you know, diving at second base. At, you know, he blew out a shoulder or, you know, ended up on the DL because he landed wrong. Something. And you just look at it and you just, you love those guys. You just want to right. take care of them as much as you can. You appreciate for what they're doing. You got guys, you know, Griffey's career for the most part took a major detour when he ran into a wall in center field. Yeah, 94. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and you, you look at that, and you're going, one of the best players of our generation, and you can run down the path of could have been one of the greatest players ever. And he runs into a wall full speed trying to track down a fly ball. And that, that in itself tells you what kind of player he was and why he was just a favorite of everybody he played with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny when – one moment can be the microcosm of a nearly 20 year career. But I think for Griffey, that's, um, you know, you saw his awe inspiring talent, his ability to play defense and his, his willingness to put his body on the line. And then also to his body, not being always willing to return the favor. So yeah, I, that's, that's a good point that I hadn't really thought of before we dig another rabbit hole that we get to go down I want to thank our sponsors. We have Hinterland Coffee on uh, hinterlandmn.com. 10% off for monthly subscriptions if you go on there and get roasted coffee once a month from my guy Josh Nelson in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Great, great coffee. Humility Chains on etsy.com slash shop slash humility chains. 21 different chains and bracelets to choose from. They look real nice, not too expensive. And threestarsportscards.com with retail locations in Little Canada and Bloomington, Minnesota. Or check them out again online, little or sorry, three starsportscards.com. Again, if you're listening to us on iTunes, please leave us a five star review. Otherwise, you can find us on Stitcher, Google Play, Libsyn, Spotify. Numerous options for you to subscribe at most of those places, if not all of them. And then, by the way, Greg, we have launched a Patreon. Were you were you familiar with Patreon before I told you we were going <clears> to <throat> do one? I was not. I nope. I. Uh... First time I've heard of it in our discussion. Yeah. So go ahead with that one. So basically the way it works is you support us monthly at a level that you choose, whether it's $3 to be the MLB journeyman, and that's the one I wasn't sure you were going to be down with, the $5 level, which is rookie of the year, $10, which is all-star, which you were at a point in your career, and then $25, you're an Orioles Hall of Famer. Now, why would you want to do these things? Because at the $3 level, you will get a comped 
membership to Access Twins, you will also get a three dollar or sorry for three dollars, you will also get a producer credit at the end of every podcast, which I will run through once we build up a list that we can use. And you will also get access to a Slack channel to chat baseball with me, and we'll see if we can get Greg on there too to chat and just kind of uh, you know exchange some ideas. I'm on there a lot during Twins games, but I'm accessible most of the day. That's probably not a good thing to advertise, but um, you know if people want to get at me, they can do that. <laughs> the Rookie of the Year level adds a Zoom chat with you and me. We're gonna see how often we do that. I'm hoping for monthly, you know, maybe just a half hour where people can ask questions that they don't get in to our program. By the way, I am working on a branded segment for Ask Greg Anything, maybe even an entire episode at some point. And we'll come up, we'll workshop a name for that segment. You know, if it's uh, something about you being a reliever, something about you being a righty, something about a curveball, we'll figure something out. Now at the $10 level, it adds a free That 90s Baseball Pod hat, which are in development right now. I will have one in my hands within the next couple of weeks, and we can show it off. I think it's going to look pretty good. Hey, you must have gotten your Access Twins hat by now. I did. It looks good. Thank you. Yeah, not not bad for, uh, you know, someone designing the logo for me on their phone and my aunt making those out of a little shop in Roseau, Minnesota. So, uh, you know, only about 400 miles from the Twin Cities. I, I did hear it described as a suburb of Minneapolis at one point, and I think that's maybe stretching the definition. <laughs> but the... Hall of Fame membership will also get an autographed baseball from Greg himself and an autographed rated rookie Don Russ card from 1989, as I recall. And so, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to work on some more things for, for these tiers. Everything, though, that I told you backfills. So if you are at the $25 level, you will get all the benefits of the previous levels. So there's no reason um, to to feel like you're going to miss out on anything. But I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And you know what? We'll we'll come up with some more things. I also think, too, I might release the podcast a day or two early through the Patreon so people can listen to it. And then you and I can release it on iTunes a couple days later. That's a nice little incentive for people, too. So I don't know. uh, What do you think of those tiers so far? They sound great to me. I like them. Yeah. Um, Like I said, um, this is a. podcast and the whole patreon everything else is all new to me so you're uh you're kind of running through with a, a absolute rookie in this aspect of the world well you were rookie of the year so we're in good we're in a good spot with you as a rookie i think um <laughs> so we've uh we've spent a little time down the rabbit hole but i don't think people listening to the show will be upset that we talked a little bit about Ken Griffey Jr. This is a 90s baseball podcast, and he was one of the players of the 90s, rather. But uh, we're going to talk about your USA baseball experience today. I felt like it was kind of apt. We're coming up on the 27th anniversary of the strike, and we'll probably talk about that next week. That's kind of what I have in pencil, uh, colored pencil for those who understand my mind frame. But... um, yeah, we'll talk about the strike and and we'll talk about what led up to it, what came after it in terms of uh, impact, and then two, what ideas you have that they can avoid one this coming CBA negotiation, which is this coming off season, which uh, is going to be a tense negotiation. I think it's probably fair to say. Would you would you agree with that? You know, they always tend to uh, tend to be very tense, and there's people there wants to be give and there wants to be some take and. Um, 
I wish I could tell you what the, the, the key answer is going to be, but right now I'd, I'd have to run through it a little bit before right. I can venture down that way. Well, and it, it sounds like, you know, universal DH double headers being seven innings versus nine. I think they already said that's not going to stick around, but it's going to come down to the revenues and all, all the stuff it, it really comes down to in terms of salaries and, and divvying up the pie. So I, I'll do the legwork on that. We'll talk about that next week. We're going to talk about baseball before being a professional. Now, you today were doing some stuff, some preparations. I understand in about 10 days, the Little League World Series is going to crop up here. Are you, I understand you have a role with it, but um, is it going to be any different this year? Are you traveling? Are you calling remotely? What, what's going to be your involvement with the Little League World Series this time around? Well, this time I just got off the air with Anish Roth. And we were calling the Tennessee and, wow, this is bad, South Carolina game this morning. Oh, okay. In Warner Robins, Georgia. Georgia. I'll be on the air tonight on ESPN. Um, ESPN 2, I believe, for Florida, Georgia in the winner's bracket. And I am calling them all from home. So I'm sitting in front of a large TV monitor that ESPN sent me. They sent me a laptop that's got four different screens. Sure. And I got the whole setup with the camera and the lights, and I am sitting in my office right now and watching somebody somebody for ESPN. It's kind of weird. It's a weird setup. It's hard to, it's hard to do. It's hard to call games. Um, so the next three days, I'll be sitting in my house and calling little league baseball at its finest and so hopefully people check that out is uh is that something you had passion about from your days playing when you were younger or how how did you come into contact with uh with this opportunity obviously you've called baseball at much more uh, accomplished levels or more higher profile levels but how, how did this happen for you oh this is uh this is a big honor to call call some uh, little league regionals it's um I guess I got started in about 2017. I did a TV show called Pitch as a right. technical advisor. So <clears throat> had a little bit of a, I don't know, a bug and sent some stuff that was me doing a little bit of things with on the, not on the air, but I got on tape. So I sent them to ESPN because I knew that, you know, they had Little League and they had some SEC networks and stuff that I felt like I could do. And they threw me the San Bernardino regionals, which is the West and the Northwest combined, kind of combined the site for their regionals. And um, working with Trey Bender for, I think it was about 2017, 18, and 19 in the 105 degree heat in San Bernardino. We were calling four games a day for four days. And then somebody else came in and called the called the uh, semifinals and the finals and I was doing that and then this past uh, last couple of weeks I went from doing the San Bernardino regional to getting the semifinals of the Warner Robins Southeast regional so I'll be on ESPN 2 tonight and then ESPN tomorrow and Wednesday wow so, no, I just got lucky, walked into it. ESPN gave me the job. I've been coaching Little League since, you know, my kids were – my oldest son, who's 26, was four. And, uh, you know, you know the rules, and you can't 
do anything. You can't swear. You can't, you know, talk about the kids negatively, which you wouldn't do anyway if you're sitting in the dugout telling mm-hmm. the kids how to play baseball. Right. And so, you know, for the most part, I just feel like I'm kind of leaning up against the dugout like I always did when I was coaching third base. And I was going, okay, this is what happened. This is why it happened. This is what should have happened. And then, you know, you're teaching. It's always a teaching moment. So doing the little league stuff, I'm just sitting there going, this is what happened. This is why it happened. This is what should have happened probably. And, you know, he made a great effort, but here we are. It's always amazing to me how talented these kids are too. You know what? Um, I was watching the Tennessee team and they're kind of, they're kind of based on Vanderbilt. And okay. it was, they were actually, you know, shortstop backhand in the hole, second base wow. running over the shoulder, shoulder catch. Um, you know, everybody spins a breaking ball now. It's just uh, amazing to think, you know, where I was at when I was 12. All I could do is throw as hard as I could throw in the, you know, and these guys are spinning breaking balls and throwing, you know, two O change ups. It's just, they're a lot better than we were. It's a whole different ball game in more ways than one, pun intended, I guess. So how yeah. how did you get involved in USA Baseball? Because you were on probably more than this, but the, the rabbit holes I went down were the 18U team and the collegiate team. And then you had mentioned um, you had been in the running for the Olympics and it just kind of didn't, didn't come to fruition. Um what was the process? How did you first get on the radar? Because obviously there wasn't the perfect game and all those series that are now. And, you know, the stuff that um, a lot of people lament in terms of it, just being parents with some money trying to get their kids seen as opposed to just letting their talent show up. But as far as getting on the radar of USA, how did that happen for you? How old were you? And what was that like? Um, I assume I was, you know, I was one of the only two juniors on the, that 18U team and I was old, so I could have been a senior age wise, but, um, held back a year. So I was a junior and I don't, I, I, I assume that they went through scouts because we, we had, we had 25 guys show up and I cannot remember where we showed up, but flew in 25 guys. And five guys were going home at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm fairly sure that it was done by, you know, area scouts and high school kids going, all right, you know what, here's the best kids in the country in our viewpoint by USA Baseball. And they just went through some of the area scouts and, and um, you know, to get four major leaguers on a team that it wasn't bad. Most everybody was, everybody was going division one somewhere. And it was just a matter of, you know, we figured it out after that. But um, that was how I got on the radar. And, and as you run through it, and as the high school kids now, you're trying to figure out how to get recruited. Well, that was how I got recruited because that, that put me on everybody's radar. Yeah, yeah. And um, Just play good. <laughs> you know. Well, it was, it was, yeah, it was really easy. It was like I was one of two juniors on the team. So, you know, I had uh, 30 or 40 division one scholarship offers just because of being on that team yeah same here uh lot, lots of scholarship offers for, for me to i'm kidding <laughs> i played a season of division three so uh it's like that that joke right. you, you and i are not the same <laughs> uh 
So no, you said but, you said sorry. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say, man. You know what? Division three is a lot better than most people do, and and you know you got to say you're a college athlete. Well, I broke so, my I broke my spine when I was a kid, so my mobility is not what it needed to be to play at a higher level. So. Um, playing at Div- Division Three and getting out there was a, a pretty big honor for me. So, yeah, you know, everybody everybody has their mountains they got to conquer. But um, that '84 team, you said five guys were sent home. Do you recall any of the names of them, or is it anybody we might know before I run down the '84 roster as far as what I could find? I don't think there was anybody that uh, we were known. Um, no, I really can't think of it. Go so, ahead. Go, the- give me the roster. This will be. Yeah, this should be a fun one. Um, so the 84 roster by what I found online. So Albert Bell, Jeff Dishman, William Dodd, Stephen Finken, Stephen Green, Sean Grubb, Michael Ignaziak, Mark Kramer. I'm going to botch this one. Todd Kozeski, Tom Kozeski, uh, Barry Ledbetter, Jack McDowell, Rodney Morell, Greg Olson, Greg Patterson, another double G there. Um, David Sturdivant. Patterson went to LSU and was all SEC LSU. I got drafted by the Cubs. Did you ever face him? Uh, well, I mean, I knew him, and then so he he went to LSU. Him and uh, Joey Albert Bell. So <laughs> yeah. you know, knew played played with both of those guys. His brother then, was on that team too, I it, think. Bell's te- brother, younger brother. It, I think it was Terry. I think so. Yeah, because I I listened to an episode of, uh, I don't know how I, if I should mention this, but Crime in Sports, that uh, <laughs> that brought up not only Albert's career, but his off-field stuff as well. But they talked about his brother being on the team. And so I thought that was kind of cool that, uh, you know, you got a chance to play, I think, in the outfield with his brother, Terry. Yeah, I mean, his brother's a good player, too. Yeah. Just not as good as he was. But, yeah, so I knew Greg Patterson and Albert just from, you know, playing with him for a summer and, both yeah. of them good guys. Both of them all. Both of them ended up being all SEC and getting drafted. David Sturdivant, Derek White, and Jeffrey Williams is the rest of the roster they have. And so, yeah, there's some there's some big time big league talent on there. Jack McDowell won 20 games a couple times. We've obviously broken down the the extent of your career, and obviously everybody knows Albert. Was he Joey Bell at that point? He was Joey, and oh boy. then Mike Ignatiuk, uh, Mike Ignatiuk came up with the Brewers. That's still um, like at that got age a, finding got that, a short stint. Finding that many big leaguers at that age is is pretty impressive. I broadcasted games for the 2010 team as a brief aside, and this. Do, do you mind if I go down the roster on that one? No. So Brian McRae. I, 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 I really enjoy doing. I, I really enjoy running, you know, the teams and seeing how our our USA guys pick them. Yeah. So Brian McRae was one of the coaches who obviously I watched play and you I'm sure played against cause he was with the Royals in the mid nineties. Um, so I'm going to go in alphabetical order. Albert, Albert Elmora jr. Who is, uh, he's kicking around with the Mets right now, but a tremendous defensive outfielder. The bats never really came around. Daniel Camarena, Nikki Delmonico, who we saw get a couple cups of coffee with the white Sox. John Hockstadter, Ricardo Jaquez. And then this next guy is the best defensive shortstop I've seen with my own two eyes. A young 17, actually 16-year-old Francisco Lindor back in the day was on that team making a visit to Minnetonka, Minnesota to play the Minnetonka Millers, which is basically the number one 
uh, amateur team here in the Twin Cities. So I saw Francisco Lindor take infield before he turned 17, and let me tell you, he was uh, he was pretty impressive. I'm sure he was. He's, I mean, he still is. You just watch him play, and it's just amazing. But uh, that would have been fun to watch him at 16 or 17 years old. I knew he was going to be something special. I, they uh, they came through. I'm, I, I'm not sure who pitched that day because I want to say it was Henry Owens who will be on my list coming up. He pitched in the Futures game. He's been a big prospect but never really came through the big leagues. Um, Christian Lopez, Michael Lorenzen, who's uh, who's an outfielder on that team. He's kind of a, a two-way guy for the Reds right now. Dylan Maples has been an up-down guy for the Cubs. Uh, Lance McCullers Jr., who uh, mm-hmm. did you ever play against his pops? No, I did not. He would have been, I think, in the late and mid '80s, right? Probably a little before your time. Yeah, I think he was. Yeah. yeah. So we got uh, Henry Owens, the big lefty, Philip Pfeiffer, Brian Regira, John Sims, Elvin Soto, a guy by the name of Derek Starling, who they called Bubba. He actually was up with the Royals for a while, Bubba Starling, Blake Swihart. He signed, a, he signed to uh, play quarterback at Nebraska. Yes, he did. Yep, I remember hearing that. Um, Joey Shimono, A.J. Vanegas, and then Tony Walters, the fairly longtime catcher for the Colorado Rockies. So there's a few pretty big-time players there. Uh, Lance McCullers obviously comes to mind, and then Francisco Lindor. But um, I remember that team coming through, and they won 9-1. to uh, The pitcher, I want to say it was – I want to say it was um, – Henry Owens gave up a, a leadoff triple to like a 36-year-old center fielder from Town Ball. The guy came across and scored, and then Team USA scored the last nine runs. But that was a lot of fun that day back in August 2010 to watch these guys, the the future of USA baseball, play. No, that is really cool. Like I said, I, I enjoy, you know, watching, listening of how some of these guys get through, you know, into the USA system. Now it's obviously much more advanced. Yeah. Um, you know, you get, you get selected or actually, you know, my youngest has done it a couple times where they have tryouts and there's just sections and, and, and differences in tryouts. And, and so he did one round out in California and then does a second round at a different location. And then there's a third round where we were down in San Diego playing at, I think, San Diego State or uh, University of San Diego. And this was like the final round. And there's two teams of 25 or 30 kids for Southern California. And then they take, you know, they take the best 18. And somehow he got farmed out to play for the Southwest region because he didn't make, he was, you know, one of the alternates and mm-hmm. Southwest needed, needed somebody. So he went down there and played for Southwest in, in Cary, Cary, North Carolina. And they played, you know, eight, seven or eight games. And then um, this past year, he came from Alabama, tried out, went to South Carolina, had two different tryouts and then played for the Southeast region. And um, they obviously it's done a lot better. I don't think the USA advertises, it very well because you know there should be thousands of kids trying out mm-hmm. at every be- a venue and there's you know the one here in Alabama I think we had like ten kids try out so it's it's bizarre you yeah know, I don't think we're getting the best we're not I'm not saying we don't have the best because you know most of the kids that know about it or our USA teams are blowing everybody out of the water mm-hmm. it's just I don't think I don't think we're having I don't think they're advertising very well 
So I'll brag on the USA baseball for a minute. The the fact that a few more guys have made the big leagues from these recent teams than your time around is you think it's just kind of just the way it is, or is there been a bit more of a concerted effort to find talent with these prospect showcases, or is it just kind of it is what it is? Well, I mean, you know, let's take the odds of, of picking these kids without seeing anybody. Mm-hmm. And every, like I said, every one of our kids, every one of our guys in the 84 team was going into a division one, you know, Sean Grubbs, Oklahoma, Derek White, Georgia tech, uh, Finkel, Michigan, you know, I can, I can run through a lot of them. Steve green was Clemson. They were all going to big time programs. You just, I mean, you look at my Pan American team and that was one of the questions on the board was, you know, about our outfield, mm-hmm. which was the best the NCAA had with Ted Wood, Mike Fiore, you know, had Tom Goodwin the next year who obviously made it, but our whole Pan American outfield, um, Don Guion, I think. Anyway, uh, our whole outfield had, I think, 43 at-bats or oh wow, maybe 100 at-bats in the big leagues, and it was all Ted Wood with, I think, the Giants. Mike Fiore, who led the NCAA and hits, didn't make it to the big leagues. You know, um, I would argue that the best player that we had in 87, which was Ty Griffin from Georgia Tech, switch hitting second baseman, he was our best player. He didn't, he didn't make it past double A. Oh, wow. So you kind of look at, you know, the high school guys and going, yeah, you know, four major leaguers, that ain't that good. It's like, yeah, actually it's pretty good. If you think that, you know, there's a chunk of our 87 team that was the best players in college baseball didn't make it to the big leagues. Right. Right. Was, uh, was your, so your complex wasn't in the Durham era back then or area back then? We were in Millington, Tennessee. Okay, so that because I think that moved yeah. in the, I think I was poking around and said in the '90s sometime. But so you would have been elsewhere. Do you? So when you found out that you were going to be even part of the process, did you get a phone call? Was it kind of like a mem- something you remember as far as uh, like, oh wow, I just got call- cold called by somebody I was not expecting? No. He- you know, I think you're probably too young. We we didn't have cell phones, so oh for sure. To to track me down in college during the baseball season was at at, at a home number that I don't think I even remembered. Um, was just there. There was no way. It was astronomically small chance of you know me even giving the number out, let alone somebody calling it, let alone me being in the house. Yeah. Um, so it was my college coach got a phone call from USA Baseball, or I, I assume that the head coach Ron Frazier wouldn't have, you know, been calling. I know in a discussion I had in the past week, um, Mark Marcus, the famed coach from Stanford that was our Olympic team coach in '88, spoke to my head coach a couple times about me and Frank Thomas. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was that communication, but there was nothing directly with me. It was, you know, got called into the, the baseball office with Hal Baird and, and asked if I would like to go try out for the USA team in in Millington, Tennessee, which try to run this through. It was a Navy base. Oh, wow. Off the Mississippi River. Yeah, off the Mississippi River. That's pretty sweet. 
Yeah. Did, uh, oh yeah. No, it was, <laughs> did they ever try? Did they ever try to get Bo Jackson to come, or was he just kind of not on their radar because of his other things going on? You know what? I don't know. I never, uh, never got. He was. I mean, he was long gone by the time that. You know, I was even getting to my first college summer, which was, you know, 86. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. You guys weren't you guys weren't exactly lined up. I remember that now. Yeah. You know, but I mean, you think about that 84 team, you got McGuire, you got Will Clark, um, BJ Serhoff. Mm -hmm. That team was just stacked. And I don't know if, you know, Bo was even on that radar. Yeah that right you know but every other year so in 87 the year before the olympics there was the pan-american games which we had in indianapolis and we got um got the silver medal got beat by cuba 13 to 9 oh wow i think, the, I think that was my loss <laughs> uh yeah yeah it was <laughs> i mean for usa to score nine runs and us to lose it was like oh man yeah so, we should we should also note the other Greg Olson, uh, the Minnesota native, played on the 82 team. But I digress. Uh, so did did the 14U and any of that stuff exist back then, or was it pretty much just the uh, the 18U and the collegiate team? If it existed, I didn't know about it. Okay. Uh, you know, so they, they do a lot of the same things. I think they have some tryouts and, and some some ways – to get these kids to, you know, keep trying out at, at levels. And then, you know, they have the ability to get them to carry North Carolina and, and, and have extensive tryouts where they can see, but a lot of the kids on the younger levels, you know, have done it and been there before. So their names are already on the list and, and uh, you know, they know how great it is to play with that USA on your chest. And you brought that up when, um, I was on Twitter and kind of arguing a point mm -hmm. about uh, just the flag protocols. You know, you, you, you know exactly which way to face. You don't. Yeah. And we're, we're talking about the women's soccer team. And, and there's a couple of people were saying that they were not protesting by standing up, but they're, you know, in my mind there, I thought they were protesting because two of them are facing the hundred year old, World War II veteran is playing the harmonica for the national anthem. Three of them are facing forward, and then one of them is facing sideways. And I'm like, that that doesn't happen. I was like, you 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 have a protocol of if there's flag on the field, you face forward, you face that flag. If there's not a flag on the field, you face the main stadium flag wherever that is. Yeah. And so, I I assume that. Uh, you know, I looked at Team Mexico and they were facing forward. So it just seemed like it was really odd. Yeah, kind of disjointed or disorganized. Yeah. So I was defending it and just saying it was, for me, you know, the national anthem's never been the same. You know, every time I hear it, it brings chills and, mm -hmm. um, you know, what it means to play for the for this country was something that is hard to express. Uh, how much do you keep up with the the program as an alumnus? I mean, you know, I don't know if there's reunions or anything like that, but I mean, or or even the former teammates. I mean, I, I'm not certain you're on Albert Bell's speed dial or anything like that, but if speed dial is even still a thing. Um, but as far as like, uh, how do you remember that time? How do you still 
how does it affect your day-to-day life? Is it anything where you keep up with the team now because you were on the team or, or anything like that? You know what? I, I mean, I, I keep in touch. I know my, my father coached, um, I'm gonna have to, I think about four of the junior teams in the late nineties, he was, you know, one of the coaches for their world championships or whatever, like 96 through 2000 or 2001. So I got to know most of the guys that are running, you know, running the show for USA baseball, Eric Camel grew up in Omaha, played at a rival high school. He's one of the head guys, Paul Seiler's one of the head guys. And so I've known those guys for a long time. I've offered to, you know, I've come out and done a couple of clinics with them when I'm available and just kind of stay in touch and when I can, I mean, it's a, it's a great program. It's our nation's youth. They're, they're getting trained by the best in the country. And, and uh, like I said, I've offered to help and have helped when offered. Do you have any fun stories from that 84 team in terms of, uh, you know, maybe a, a fun inside baseball story about Jack McDowell or anything like that, where, something we'd all be interested about. I just, it's hard for me to know all this kind of process stuff because it's changed a lot too, as far as, like you said, where you report and who you play against in the process and lead up. But as far as like fun stories from that 84 team, is there anything you can share? You know what? It, it, it was a summer of taking a bus. What felt like across Montana, a little bit of South Dakota and playing you know, playing town teams and playing, you know, the best good in the States. Mm-hmm. And then we ended up heading up to Saskatchewan. I don't, it was, it was kind of weird because we didn't stay in hotels per se. We stayed with, ho- you know, the teams that we were playing against and everybody kind of went their own ways after the game. And then you, you know, you go back to the stadium and, and take a bus and go somewhere else the next day. So we were getting hosted everywhere we went, which, you know, nice families. And um, it just wasn't a whole lot of, whole lot of memories other than getting beat by Cuba again, or first mm-hmm. in, uh, in the gold, in the gold medal game. And uh, you know, I don't remember, you know, Albert Bell and I threw a no hitter against Sweden, which wasn't, wasn't uh, a huge feat. Cause I don't think they got any hits the whole tournament, but, we Oof. didn't give up one. Yikes. Um, yeah. So there, there wasn't a whole lot of memories. I'm not, you know, it wasn't like I'm, I'm I, you know, I'll tell you if I can't talk about it or yeah, yeah. it's not something, not something I want to talk about. This is just, man, 20 or 36 years ago, give or take. And it was a, a blur you know, running around the upper Midwest and on buses. Sounds a lot like you were, preparing for minor league ball which fortunately you didn't have to play too much of <laughs> oh yeah a little bit a little bit of that yeah except for you know and actually staying with host families right a little bit of a minor league uh, minor league and college summer league tradition what uh what is the season or the series or so i was looking at the 18 new team from from 2010 so I'm assuming they convene, they do a little bit of training together, knock off some of the rust, and then they play these. It's kind of like barnstorming, but really just like a tour. And then they go to the the championships. Was it similar for you guys in terms of that process? Did you 
show up beforehand and get a little time together? Or what was from beginning to end? Uh, was it all kind of condensed in, in a pretty quick process? Yeah, it really was. They, I mean, they brought in 25 guys and basically said five guys are going home and you're going to play your way out. And, you know, I think everybody's kind of familiar with uh, the movie Miracle and yeah. the way the whole lead up, you know, it's what these coaches want. They'll give them, they'll give them, you know, a, a bunch of guys to look at and think about. And then ultimately the coaches, I think, kind of have the decision like uh, Herb Brooks did in Miracle where he's like, I want these guys. And, you know, you take five, six more guys on the roster and guys play their way out or don't fit in. And you'll see some of that. I mean, that 87 team, there was, there was a couple players that were great players, great major league players that just, and this is where I won't talk about who they are, just didn't fit in. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Ron Frazier and Jim Morris, who's a Miami coach now, and Frazier was the old Miami coach, and and they knew what they wanted. And uh, like I said, we had some great players that were on buses out of there. It was, and it was, you didn't fit in, you didn't fit in. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Was, uh, we'll move on from 84. Was there any, so you're on the 84 team and obviously 84 has a collegiate team and an Olympic team, like the Mark McGuire team. Is there any interaction between those levels? Are you guys so completely separate that you're not even really aware of, uh, who they are and what they're about? Oh, we were aware who they were. You know, I mean, those, those sure. guys were the best guys in the country, and right, and they get to go play. They get to go play in L.A., but we never, never saw them. We never. Uh, I don't. I don't think we were within five or six states of them. Sure. Like I said, we were in South Dakota, Montana, maybe, maybe Wyoming, and then headed up to Saskatchewan for the, the Junior Worlds or whatever they wanted to call them. Um, but no, we didn't. We didn't see any of those guys. But we knew exactly who they were and what they were doing. So you were one of uh, a few guys, though, who got to play on the 18U and the collegiate team. I suppose for you, uh, it's just another honor, just like having USA on your chest and and getting to represent your country. It's got to be kind of cool to see who those guys are in '84 and maybe think to yourself, maybe someday that'll be me, and then to make that happen. Or am I reading that wrong? No, you know, it was, it was a great honor and, um, you know, to get picked on the 87 team and to, and to end up getting, you know, I ended up getting a pretty good role on that team in 87. Yeah. I think you threw the most innings, uh, didn't you? Yeah. I ended up, um, 50 some innings. I, I was, I was closing for Auburn and we picked up Chris Carpenter, who was a Scott Boris mm-hmm. client. And Scott Boris was going through a couple guys at that point where if the major league team that drafted the guys didn't, you know, didn't come up with the offer that they wanted, they, they held them out. And I'm trying to think of, there was another huge one. It was almost one, one, um, Red Sox. And now I'm, I'm getting old. <laughs> but Chris Carpenter, Chris Carpenter closed at Georgia while I was closing at Auburn. Uh-huh. And Carpenter Carpenter was 91, 92, and he threw a little cut fastball, which was just a shade off, but you could never pick it up. And um, so he's so breaking he bats. Us. 
Yeah, well, I mean, it was always it was just down and away from righties, and you're just seeing these guys just swing and miss, swing and miss, swing and oh, miss, yeah, yeah. and you're just going, what is he doing? Yeah. Anyway, he came to us, you know, kind of midway in the summer, and Frazier came to me when we were in Cuba and um, said, hey, we got you and Carpenter. Carpenter, you know, has got two pitches, and – you know, I had a change up at some point in my life. And he goes, you got a change up and a slider. He goes, why don't you break those out? And I want you to start. And I was like, okay, you know, I didn't care that car, you know, Carpenter was going to close. And so I got to start in Cuba. Um, and it was, you know, kind of a big secret because everybody's sitting there going, who's starting, who's starting. And then I pop up on the mound and, and get a start. And then I got another couple more starts and, um, uh, Ended up starting against uh, Canada, game one, didn't throw very well. Got Cuba, game two, threw pretty well. We got the win. Then I got uh, Puerto Rico for my third game, and we won three to nothing in 11 innings. And then I got Cuba for the gold medal game. And, um, yeah, so I got, you know, I got thrown into the number one role with guys like – Jim Ablett, Joe Sluzarski, Char- uh, Charles Nagy on the squad. Mm-hmm. Um, it was fun. It was, I mean, it was fun. It was just, you know, stupid crap happens to me. And, and uh, you look back and go, man, that would have been fun. We had a hour and a half rain delay in the gold medal game. And I oh, came no. out and uh, I came out, struck out two out of the three guys and got a weak pop up, you know, top of the lineup against Cuba and I was like I walked off going this is the best stuff I've ever had in my life and then it rained for an hour and a half and I came back out and I felt fine it was just everything's about two feet short and Mm. you know second inning I I, second inning I give up two line outs right to my short stop and a you know long fly ball and I'm like um I lost all my toys during the rain delay oh man so (laughs) Ended up going about three and a third or something like that. Gave up, gave up a long home run, and and uh, I don't remember who came in after that. But it would have been a lot more fun had the rain not come. Yeah. So this and this isn't the Chris Carpenter that pitched for the Cardinals for all those years. This is the guy who was uh, on the early Marlins team with a no H in his first name, as I recall. No H, but he uh, he got drafted by the Cardinals. Oh wow. So. <laughs> He did. He did come up, but it's C R I S. Yep. Carpenter. Um, he did come up with the Cardinals for a little bit. You know, career wasn't wasn't all that it could have been. I don't think, but he's um, he's still living right around Athens, Georgia. And fun fact on Chris Carpenter was, I might have this wrong, but he was an All SEC punter. Really. As, as well as closer for the car uh, for the uh, the dogs, yeah. Sounds like Darren Erstad. Good, yeah, pretty good athlete. Did, did he really? Erstad, good one. Did he really strike out sixty nine batters in twenty nine and a third innings? That that looks like a misprint. Carpenter? Yeah, that's what it says for the eighty seven stats that I got here. I'm trying to figure out if that's possible. Oh, it's two an inning. Oh yeah, no, I'm. I'm he, I mean, he was he was unbelievable. I mean, you, you struck out I, I, you struck out that many in fifty one innings, which is impressive. But twenty nine and a third? I mean, come on. 
<laughs> Holy he, cow. He, I can't, I mean, he, no, he was really good. And uh, it was funny because, you know, I go, I go six against Puerto Rico and it's nothing, nothing. And so they put Carpenter in and this is kind of the way we rolled it. It was, I'd go five, six, you know, or the gold medal game, I'd go four. And then Carpenter would come in and, and either finish it out. He would always finish it out mm-hmm. except for the gold medal game. And, um, I mean, he was just, he was dominant, but in the Puerto Rican game, I go six, he comes in and they they're getting ready to you know, take him out after, after like the 10th inning. And he just, he looked at Frazier saying, I mean, we're both sitting in the dugout and he looks at Frazier or whoever came up and said, he's out. He goes, if you take me out, I quit. Oh, and they're going, wow. Yeah, I mean, it's in the middle of the Pan-American game, so they're kind of going, well, um, okay, you can go back out. And then Scott Service, the catcher for Astros. Yeah, he's a manager. Now, now, yeah, now the manager. Of the Mariners. Hit, uh, yep, hit a three-run home run. We win the game against Puerto Rico. Wow. That, uh, that's a little more equity in a collegiate team than you would have as the 18U guy. I don't think an 18U guy is going to say that to to the to the skipper but um yeah that's amazing this stat sheet also says that your guys swiped 141 bags in 43 games is that is that possible that team just run wild yeah we had um the center fielder don guio or guiot guiot or guio um 25 bags in 34 games that's incredible he led he led the NCAA with some stupid number that year at like Texas it. at UTEP or Texas San Antonio. Um, oh, I mean, it was a stupid number. And I think he was actually out for a little while. He dislocated his shoulder sliding into sliding into second, but Ted Wood could run. Ty Griffin could fly uh, shortstop. Dave Silvestri could run. Uh, Ron Frazier, that was just, he was, he was just pushing buttons, you know, wasn't, uh, we weren't a huge power hitting team, but it was always, always pushing the buttons. And that's what, you know, going down a different way for a split second. That's what's just shocking about major league baseball that they don't value the stolen base Mm -hmm. because they don't feel like it's, it's not worth the out. The risk is not worth the out. And I look at it and going, if you guys have ever been on a pitching mound with Ricky Henderson standing over there and you know him that he needs to steal second base to get in scoring position, the stress that he is putting on me as a pitcher is unbelievable. I can't even describe it. And then, you know, you put him, obviously he's leading off. So then you got Carney Lansford, hypothetically, mm-hmm. batting behind him. And Carney Lansford could carve a fastball into right field as easy as Wade Boggs could carve one into left field. And I'm just going, okay, I, I can't throw this pitch here, but I have to throw a fastball because if I give my uh, throw a breaking ball, my catcher won't have a chance to throw Ricky out. Right. And so you're sitting there, and this is the dynamic that you get from a guy that can steal bases of I can't really throw a breaking ball here or I can't miss down in the dirt because he's going to get that bag. I can't afford to give him that base. And you kind of need to throw breaking balls. Yeah. Well, in the major leagues, man, you you can't just, you can't throw fastballs. Even if these guys are throwing a hundred miles an hour, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. Guys, guys can hit. 
And um, but the breaking ball is, for you too. I mean, that was a big deal. Yeah, but I mean, my fastball breaking ball were that that overlay that you see on the on Twitter with I think it was pitching, pitching ninja, ninja or something yep. like that. Yep. You know, where I, I was that overlay of fastball inside part of the plate to righties at the belt and then breaking ball straight out of that. And so, yeah, if you take away my breaking ball, Oof. I'm, not, I'm, nothing, I'm nothing special. And it's just, that's what, you know, the, the, the pressure that it puts on a defense is just, uh, it's hard to describe. So, yeah, I got stealing 100 bags in, what, 43 games? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, Frazier Fraser, Fraser understood the game. Don Guillot or Guillot, what I found while we were chatting here, 102 stolen bases in a season in 1987 for Pan American University, which is now UT Rio Grande Valley, so the Bronx, but too shy of what was the all-time NCAA record at the time, set the two years before by Tim Barker of UCF, who had 104 in 87 games. So... Just a staggering number of stolen bases, but very consistent with uh, what he was capable of. There's, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, the dude could cover ground. He led off, and um, and yeah, 100 stolen bases in a college season is is pretty good. Let's let's run down that 87 team real fast, just so people know who we're talking about. It won't take long. Uh, Jim Abbott, who obviously became a, a real, really, really good starting pitcher in the big leagues. Uh, Chris Carpenter, Pat Combs, Mike Fiore, Longo Garcia, Larry Gonzalez, Ty Griffin, who you mentioned before, Don Guillo, Steve Heck, Burt Heffernan, Rick Hittensteiner, Clyde Keller, Larry Lamphere, Scott Livingstone, Tito Martinez, uh, big Mariner and then Yankee, uh, Jeff Mutis, Chris Nickting, you, of course, future teammate Jim Poole, if I'm not mistaken, um, Scott Service, Dave Silvestri, Joe Slusarski, Ed Sprague, who actually came up in one of our previous episodes, Frank Thomas again, and then Ted Wood. Is there any of those names that you haven't thought about for a long time that when I said it, you're like, oh, yeah, I remember him now? Oh, man. Um, yeah, or all of them? Got me. Yeah, there's a lot of them in there that, uh, you know, Steve Hecht, I ran into at some point here scouting. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, Ed Sprague had a really good career service. Livingstone, both of them were at third base. Sprague back, you know, went back and caught a little bit. Split time with service. Livingstone, Sylvester got a little bit of time with the Yankees at shortstop. Yep. Second base, like I said, Ty Griffin was an amazing player that uh, didn't make it past Double A. Tino Martinez argued, you know, beat out Frank Thomas for first base on the USA team. I can't imagine that's possible, then, but Big Frank, I guess, was a freshman, so maybe that's it. Yeah, no, I mean, really, that was really it. And then you kind of look at the outfield, and like I said, you had, you know, some of the best college players. Hertensteiner was a good player out of uh, California. I can't think of the University Pacific, I believe. Uh, Hertensteiner was Pepperdine. Pepperdine. I had a P. You were close. Um, but... But, I mean, for that college outfield to get, you know, 100 major league at-bats. Yeah, that's it, crazy. It was, it was un- unbelievable. So, you know, that goes back to my case about making, you know, all these high school teams that have four or five, you know, there's probably 10 names on there that didn't make it to the major leagues, if not more. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well. What uh, what did you do with your medals, or, or do you still have them somewhere you can get to easily? Do you see them regularly, or 
or the, you know, do you, did you keep anything from those teams that you kind of look back on as a, you know, a souvenir or something of that time frame? Yeah, I was just commiserating with my wife that uh, my silver medal from the Pan American Games has been missing for the better part of 20 some years. So. Oh no. Yeah, I don't know where that one went. Um, as, uh, it was at my parents' house last I saw it. So I don't know where that one's at. Uh, the 84 silver medal, I have no idea where that one's at. I usually don't lose stuff either. So if you're sitting at home going, stupid athlete. And I, uh, I got most of my, I got all my jerseys. And if you tune in to ESPN over the next couple of days for my Little League stuff, you'll see my USA 1987 jersey awesome hanging hanging up so i don't know what i really don't it's disturbing i can't find that metal really well, is i don't i don't lose i don't lose stuff like that well we'll put out an apb and who knows maybe it'll yeah. show up on a <laughs> on an episode of pawn stars or something like that it'd be kind of cool to get that back that'd to you good. who knows maybe yeah, uh, maybe this nice. is all right maybe this is what we need um so 88 you did not end up with the Olympics, did you start and then withdraw or what, um, what was that process like? And, uh, what was your, obviously you couldn't go, but was there a, a, like physically, but was there a sense of regret that you didn't get to, or everything did work out? I mean, you still got to play at the highest level. What, what kind of happened and what was your reaction as far as, uh, you know, when you look back on that time? I, I, um, I mean, it was all I could do to, to make it through the SEC season and I regret to say that I spent the better part of my junior year sleeping, right. you know, my junior spring. I, I slept until, um, you know, Friday, and then Saturday I'd pitch in two games, and Sunday I'd pitch in a game, and then go back to sleep. So, you know, I wasn't going to class. Mm-hmm. And when, you know, it was – I don't know if you can say it was assumed, but I was the number one starter on the Pan Am team, so I, I kind of figured I was on the Olympic team. Yeah. And so showed up to Millington, and it was a new staff, and so like it was Mark Marcus and Skip Bertman and Ron Polk. And um, just, you know, when I got there, I just kind of walked into the office and go, look, guys, I've been, I've been sick all spring, and I physically I, – I can't, I can't handle much. So if you let me throw – you know, inning or two innings, leave me alone the next day. I'll be, you know, I'll be at practice, but don't make me run. I can't run. And, um, you know, I should get, should get healthy. Yeah. And first day, you know, first day, first practice. And somebody goes, all right, pitchers, five mile run, go down to this street, take a left, go here, come back. And I'll see you guys in, you know, however many minutes, um, you know, 40 minutes of give or take. And I just kind of looked at, you know, I think it was Skip Bertman. I just kind of looked at him and I was like, serious. He goes, just do what you can do. And I was like, if I go on a five mile walk, I'm going to need to sleep for two days. Right. And he just, he just kind of like, do what you can do. And I was like, okay. And I jogged a little bit and walked the rest. And I think he came and picked me up after an hour. Yeah. And um, it was that way for about three weeks. I was just like, I'm, I'm getting thicker. Yeah. So, it was, it was, you know, I wasn't getting healthy. I wasn't, wasn't getting better. And I wasn't, uh, I wasn't going to help. I really wasn't, you know, looking, looking at it from by the time I got to double A and, mm-hmm. and, you know, getting, getting beaten around double A, I was, I was, you know, throwing 88, 89 miles an hour when I'm used to be throwing 93, 94. 
And it was just because, you know, no energy, sick. I would have gotten beaten all over the yard, I think, you know, mm-hmm. against Cuba in the world championships or yep. or Japan in the uh in the gold medal game. I don't think I would have been helpful. Yeah, that that makes sense. Uh only only a few more here and we'll let you go. I hope you're still good on time. Um yeah. good. Uh so you didn't you didn't play in the Olympics. How closely did you watch those guys though in '88? Uh, I think it was silver silver medal. But um, did you keep up with them, or was it kind of you just had to move on? No, I was keeping up with them. I actually double uh, A ran into them in Charlotte when they were playing a game, and and I was in double A with the Orioles, and we ran into each other somewhere and sat down and hung out a little while, and then. When they got to uh, got to the Olympics, I was getting whatever, you know. I mean, this is 1988, so yeah, everything, you know, everything. There's no ESPN, so you don't really have the automatic uh, rundown of what's going on in baseball or sports on the other side of the world, which was South Korea. So I'd get some, you know, get the next day paper, see what the score was, get the box score, and, and check in. And and um, Ed Sprague would have. Ed Sprague would have a reunion every year, you know, under a charity golf tournament. Oh, nice. Yeah, we'd get together for uh, four or five years after that, and same, you know, same crew, and they'd talk, and everybody would be mad at me because they lost the world championship game against Cuba, and they were winning two to one in the ninth inning and gave up two runs to Cuba. Oh, man. And so, yeah, so every time that we did get together, it was like, you cost us the world championship. And then we'd, you know, I'd get <laughs> abused for a little while and then I'd change the subject and we'd move on. Laugh it off, drink a couple beers and call it good. Mm-hmm. What, um, yep. what parts of the world did you get to see that you wouldn't have gotten to see otherwise from your experiences with, uh, <laughs> well, I guess I should laugh. You probably wouldn't have seen much of Montana in your lifetime if you hadn't played on that first team. But, um, you can maybe just go with what's more memorable as opposed to, you know, Western North Dakota or Eastern Montana. If you, if you don't want to go down that road again. Well, I mean, I guess you got Saskatchewan. I probably wouldn't have been there. That's pretty cool though. Um, Yeah. And then the 87 team, the only trip that we took was uh, because we played in Indianapolis was Cuba. And so, yeah, I'd never get to Cuba. And that was, (laughs) you know, I think 10, 10 days, 10 days or almost two weeks, 10 days, 12 days in Cuba, which was, uh, you know, an experience that, um, you know, maybe at some point over the next podcast, I'll, I'll run down that one. Cause it's a long, it's, it's a long, interesting story, but it's not uh, classified. Yeah, Cuba. Nope. And then, uh, I mean, the 88 team, you know, I think the world championships they played were in Rome and then they stopped and played, a series in India or something like that. And then a series in Japan. And then wow, the gold gold medal game was in, uh, you know, Seoul, Korea. So those guys got the, uh, the world tour. I was, I was long gone by then. Yeah. You were getting the tour of buses and minor leagues pretty much. So that's yep. uh, in very short time. Charlotte, Charlotte and Birmingham and uh, down yeah, South Knoxville. Would would you have played in the World Baseball Classic if it existed when you were in your uh, in your big league career? I think you know. Obviously, again, you say yeah. what an honor it was. Do you think you would have loved to do that? Oh, absolutely. 
And you know what? It was just, it's so much fun to play with the best. And you're just looking around the room and you knew that you're all playing for the same thing. And it was, you know, it was a memorable quote for me by Ron Frazier. And right, we were getting ready to do the Pan Am games. And he just said, look around the room, boys, because this will be the last time that you ever play for the name on the front. Yep. And I just sat there. I looked at him. I was like, no. And he was right. I mean, you know, you get to double A or you get to A ball and all you're worried about is getting to the next level and moving on. Mm -hmm. You don't care if you win or lose. And you get to the major leagues and yeah, you know, August, September, you're caring quite a bit because you want to get to the playoffs. But right. A lot of the time, you're you're worried about the name on the back because that's the only way you get paid. You don't get paid for winning a world championship if you're the 25th guy. Right. You're not getting the same as everybody, you know. So sad, sad to say, but it's it, it was true. And uh, like I said, 30 years later, still haven't forgotten that comment. So we'd be remiss if we didn't close with a little bit of Olympic baseball discussion. And they, as I recall, if I remember correctly, finished with a, a silver medal. And um, they didn't have baseball in the Olympics for uh, at least two Olympics, 12 and 16, if I'm remembering correctly. What was your thought when uh, when they got rid of baseball in the Olympics for a while? I mean, it it just kind of struck me as odd, but I don't have a strong enough background of knowledge to know if it bothered people uh, further up the chain than me. You know what? I... Um... I don't know. I never figured it out. I guess it, it, not enough countries were playing it. it you, you can't say that we were too dominant. You know, Cuba Cuba's always been the dominant force mm-hmm. on the right. you know on that, and then you go Puerto Rico. But I think the you know the World Baseball Classic has really kind of kicked it off to the side. You know, the Olympic the Olympic baseball kind of kicked it off to the side because it gives the best of the best a chance to play for their country. Um, and I don't know. I mean, did you really pay attention to the, the Olympic baseball? I, I, I can't say as I did, as if, you know, just, I wanted to watch a couple of guys play. Yeah. For but, me, it was just, uh, keeping up with Joe Ryan cause the twins traded Nelson Cruz for him. And then trying to find out more about Simeon Woods Richardson, who the twins traded for with, uh, Jose Barrios. So other than that though, I mean, you know, it's fun to it's fun to watch Scott Casimir still pitching after all these years. Yeah. But other than that, I thought that was cool. Yeah, I mean, other than that though, you know, it's not um, no, it was not must see TV for me. I didn't get up at five in the morning if that's what it was going to require. But um, you know, I like America and I like baseball, so you'd think it'd be up my alley. But it just I don't know, it didn't resonate with me. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I liked when they did, you know, the, the top double-A prospects and you could take guys off the 40-man. And that was a little bit more fun because it felt like a future game, you know. Which they have but one of those, too. It, yeah, and so you're like, eh, I wasn't really into it because it's guys that are out of the game or, you know, career minor league guys that could duck out and just didn't feel like it was the best we had to offer. Yeah. So, that's kind of where I was at and nothing against those guys. Cause I appreciate them going out and getting the silver medal and, and playing hard and mm-hmm. playing for the USA. So is, is it strange to you? This is a, this is pretty much the last thing I have for you, but is it strange to you that MLB doesn't do a pause? Now NBA is out of season. They just finished their season. 
which was extended into the summer because it didn't start till around Christmas time. But WNBA pauses their season. NHL for the Winter Olympics pauses their season. Do you ever sense that they could do that with MLB? Because I don't know that I would ever see it happening. But it's not as though MLB is necessarily going to take itself more seriously than those other professional leagues. It just might not be as natural of a transition. I just I don't know if I could ever see it happening where MLB would say, listen, we're going to take three weeks off, allow them a week to train together, play their two weeks, and then come back. I, I just I don't think I see that happening. But uh, what say you? No, no chance. I think it would disrupt the season. Yep. Um, okay. You know, it's it's the reason there's no, you know, no football at that level. Obviously, a whole lot of countries don't play it, but, you know, nobody can risk the injuries. You know, yeah. So if somebody goes over there, David Price goes over there and blows out his elbow, you know. We got problems. Gra- graphically upset. David Price is upset. And I just I just don't see it. Yeah. Don't see it happening. Yeah, we have Sadly. problems if that happens. Yep, yep, yep. All right. Yep. Well, is there so, anything? Partner, is, well is, done. Is there anything else I didn't touch on as far as your experience? I think, you know, we emptied out the notebook from my behalf, but uh, is there anything you wish I would have gone down the path of in another rabbit hole? Um, you know what? As always, you were the best and came prepared <laughs> and, and great, great questions. And, um, you know, every week look forward to running down some thoughts and chasing yeah. some chasing some avenues of interest. And it's uh, it's been fun doing this with you. You bet. Let's once uh, once more give a rundown. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Libsyn, Spotify. Five-star review enters you into a monthly drawing for a autographed baseball. Check out our sponsors, HinterlandMN.com for Hinterland Coffee. Humility Chains on Etsy and Three Star Sports Cards in Little Canada and Bloomington. And check out our Patreon. It is patreon.com slash that90sbaseballpod. Not too hard to figure that out. Four different levels and just kind of check out what we got going on there. But for co-host Greg Olson, this is Brandon Warren signing off saying thank you for checking out That 90s Baseball Pod powered by Access Twins. (laughs) 